All right, everyone, it's time to open our Bibles together. If you will, go with me today to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. That single verse will be our text today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. 2023 is almost ready to be over, and 2024 is about to begin. So as I like to say it, your Michael Jordan year is coming to a close. Your Kobe Bryant year is about to start which I guess means this past year should have been the greatest year of all time, and this next one, while not as good, is going to be pretty darn good anyway. So just if if you want to think about it like that. I'm a basketball guy. But as we come to think about the new year, a lot of people are thinking about New Year's resolutions. What are you going to do this year? What are you going to resolve to, to do this next year? Now, New Year's resolutions, I don't know if you think about it like this, but for me, they sound great at first. We're even motivated for a while, but we hardly ever keep them. Hardly ever keep my New Year's resolution, at least the whole year. And so because of that, a lot of people just say, let's, let's do away with this whole thing, New Year's resolutions. This isn't really helpful. Let's just do away with it all. But what is helpful, maybe, maybe making a bunch of New Year's resolutions isn't helpful, but what is helpful is it's good every now and then to take a step back and to look at your life and to recommit to certain priorities, that is good and helpful. We should be doing that regularly. And it's, it's, I think it's a wonderful time to do this. Once a year, when everybody's thinking about those things, to take a step back, to, to look at our lives. If we never take a step back, if we're always in the, the day-to-day grind, then, then we'll be kind of just floating along and many times becoming lax in many of our priorities. It's good and right. It's, it's proper. It's fitting for us to take a step back and to look at our lives almost from a, a wide-angle lens, and to recommit to certain priorities that we know we, we should be committing to. If you do it once a year, it can actually help you stay on a disciplined track over a very long period of time, once a year. You might think of the once-a-year recommitment that we might do to certain priorities, kind of like what we do each week here at church. Many of us come to church every single week to kind of recommit ourselves to the Lord, to reorient ourselves to God. I think it's a wonderful reason to be in church every Sunday. We, we go out into the world during the week and we come back every single Sunday, the first day of the week, to recommit ourselves to the Lord and to refocus on Him. Well, the beginning of a year can be something similar. And so, uh, for example, many of you might start thinking this upcoming week about, well, let's look at our budget. Let's see what ways we need to change our budget. What, what, how do we need to save more? What do we need to, is our giving the way we want it to be? Are, are, are there any big financial obligations that we have coming up? Many of you might be thinking about diet and exercise, especially after the last few months. I know I am. And so, for example, for me, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that I do every January, and this has always been helpful for me, is I take January as a way to uh, recommit myself and analyze my productivity. Are, are my work practices the way they should be? Uh, am I as productive as I can be? I'll read books on productivity. January is always kind of like refocusing on productivity month for me. And so New Year's resolutions, they might not be very successful, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's a good time to take a step back and look at your priorities. And so in this next year, what will your priorities be? My challenge to you today is in this next year, 
Start the new year making a concerted effort to let God's word dwell in you richly. Of all the priorities that you can focus on this next year, none will be more important than this one. None will be more eternally significant than this one. None will give you more in your life than this one if you give yourself to it. Let's read our text this morning. It's only one verse. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. This is God's word. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now today, I want to focus in our whole sermon on not just one verse, but one half of one verse. We're going to spend the the whole sermon today on one half of this one verse. It's the first half, the first two phrases. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then the second phrase, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And so first, the first phrase, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In 2024 and in your life going forward, I challenge you this morning to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And this all starts with desire. This all starts with desire. Nothing I am about to say will make any difference in your life if you don't have a desire to have more of God through his word. If you don't want it, nothing I am about to say will make any difference. Do you desire God? Do you desire to be in his word and to know him and spend time with him through his word? Listen to the words of Peter from 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In context there, you will see if you look at that book, 1 Peter, it's the pure spiritual milk of the word. Of the word. So think about what Peter's saying. Like a newborn infant, long for it. The word there is literally crave it. Many of us know what it is like to have a newborn infant next to us who is craving its milk. And that newborn will not let you forget about it. That newborn is going to cry out and is going to be laser focused until it gets what it wants, right? And Peter is saying, we should be like that with God's word. We should be like that with the word of God. We should crave it. We should long for it. Now, what's what's interesting about this command here, it's a command. He says, long for the, the, the pure spiritual milk. Long for it. I'm commanding you. But what's interesting about that is, if you don't want it, you don't want it. Like, if you don't desire something, you just don't desire something. How can... How can we command each other to desire something. I wish it worked like that. I wish I could look at some people and say, desire the Lord, and then they would. I wish ministry worked like that, but it doesn't. That's one of the great frustrations of ministry, actually, that you just can't make anyone want the Lord. So, so why does Peter command it? Why does the Lord command it? Well, it's because we can do certain things to cultivate desires. Like, I don't, I don't care how many times you tell me to like cauliflower. I'm just not going to like it. I, I just don't. 
You can scream at me. You can ask all real nice and polite like, but I put it in my mouth and it tastes horrible. Like that's just the way it goes. But what would happen if I spent the next three months eating cauliflower four times a week? Well, it sounds horrible to even think about, but at first I would, I would hate it. And then probably pretty soon I'd gain a taste for it. Your taste buds change. That's the way taste buds kind of work, right? It's almost like, you know, developing an exercise plan in the new year. Your body's going to hate you for it at the beginning. And if you keep going pretty soon, your body's going to want it. You can cultivate a desire. You can't just create one on the spot, but you can cultivate it. And so one of the things I'm, I'm challenging you to do this year is Let's say, let's say you don't want to read the Bible very much every day, but down deep in your heart of hearts, you want to want to. You, you wish you were the kind of person who read your Bible daily. I want to be that kind of person. The Lord can work with that. The Lord can work with that. And if you commit yourself to doing it, at first out of discipline, if you commit yourself to, to saying, I'm, I'm going to do this even though I kind of don't want to, I'm going to sit down and read the word, even though it's not really what I desire to do right now, because I believe that the Lord can create within me a desire for him that I don't really have right now. My friends, the Lord will honor that. And you will cultivate within yourself a desire for the Lord and for his word, if consistently over time you commit yourself to doing it. It's like exercise. You can't just do it once and then the next day be like, I thought it was supposed to work. I thought, I thought I was supposed to desire this. No, it's, it's consistency. It takes time. But you can cultivate that desire. My friend, if, if you are sitting there and you are being honest with yourself right now, you're taking an honest look at your heart, and you're saying, I really, I really don't want to even do that. I, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't care very much. That's a whole other thing. My friend, if that is you this morning then I would, con- I would ask you to consider whether or not you are truly saved, whether or not you truly have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, whether or not God truly has changed your heart. And if you doubt that this morning, please, please talk to someone about it soon before it is too late. Do something about that. If you genuinely look at yourself and, and think, I, I just don't have that desire at all, talk to someone about that. But there's another kind of not having the desire that I'm speaking of. And it's, it's, I I don't really desire to read the Bible, but I want to be that kind of person. Down in my heart of hearts, I want to want God. I don't want him right now, but I want to want him. And if that's you, the Lord can work with that. If you come to him in sincerity and ask him to help you. And if you do your part and actually discipline yourself to sit down with the word consistently this year. Well, the the Lord could do all kinds of wonderful things in your life. I testify to you today that nothing has changed my life. Nothing has changed my life more than sitting down with God consistently and reading his word. There is nothing that I have ever done in my life that has done more for me in a positive way, that has done more wonderful things for my heart for my mind, to give me peace, to give me joy, to not let the circumstances of this world rule the way I feel. Nothing has done more for me on that than reading God's word consistently. 
Commit to it, brothers and sisters. Make it a priority. If you do, you will reap the benefits. You will reap what you sow on this. Psalm 42, starting in verse 1, says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In the NIV, it says, When can I go and meet with God? I used to feel that on the way to class in college. When can I stop and meet with God? My heart desired it, but that desire didn't come out of nowhere. It was cultivated over time, and the Lord helped to put it there. The same thing can happen to you. Make it a priority this year. What steps are you going to take to pursue God through his word this year? You cannot just say, yeah, I want to read the Bible more in 2024. No, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? If you don't plan for it, it's probably not going to happen. What are you actually going to do? When will you do it? Think about that. When will you do it? You can do it tomorrow, but when? When tomorrow? What time of the day? What's your schedule like? What about when work starts back? When are you going to do it on those days? You can do it. You can make this a habit, but when? What about when school starts back for some of you? You can make this a habit. This is totally doable, but when? You've got to think about it. You've got to be proactive and intentional and plan for it. And find numerous ways this year to get the word into your heart and your mind. We don't just want to be people that give God like a 30-minute part of our day. We want the Lord to be everything for us. We want to live for him. We want him to, to dwell in us richly. We want his word to dwell in us richly. So how can you get the word into your heart and into your mind in all kinds of different ways? Read the Bible, yes, but what else can you do? You can listen to to podcasts or read books about the Bible and listen to hymns and worship songs with biblically rich lyrics and talking about the Bible with other people. We want this to be a lifestyle. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, and notice how this is a lifestyle for God's people. It says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Brothers and sisters, do whatever you can to make God and his word fill your life. Put pictures and signs up in your house. Put, put things on your mirrors on the dashboard of your car, in your office, to remind you. One of the things I would deeply encourage you to do is to memorize scripture. Take a verse a week or a verse every two weeks and memorize it. When I was in college, I was taught this, and I'm so glad I was taught it because I don't know if I could have kind of done it myself. But I was taught to memorize scripture. And one of the the ways that the guy who was discipling me taught me how to do it was this thing called the topical memory system. He bought us books from the Navigators Ministry. You can find this online even today still. And and what, what these books were is they had these perforated cards with verses on them. And they came with a little verse pack, a little leather folded over. It's like fake leather verse pack that you slid your card into. And it had like a, a transparent front. And so you just carry that verse pack around with you every day and, and you just lay it on the table when you were sitting in class or you, when you're walking to class, I would take it out and just look at us and we'd have our verse for the week and we'd memorize them. And I remember very vividly, we did 1 Corinthians 5.17, that was the first one. The second one was Galatians 2.20 and we went on and we did about a verse a week. It was such a wonderful practice to have God's word 
in my head during the day, not just in the time when I, I spent with him in the word reading the Bible. Memorize scripture. Friends, the person who is hungry and thirsty for God is going to pursue whatever means are available to get God's word into their mind and heart. In his book, The Wonder of the Word of God, Robert Sumner tells a story about a man in Kansas City who was severely injured in an explosion. His face was badly disfigured. He lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He had recently become a Christian, so one of his greatest disappointments was that he lost the ability to read the Bible. This was before widespread audio Bibles. And then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. Hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. But when he got them, unfortunately, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been too badly damaged to distinguish the characters. He was dejected. But one day, as he was trying to do that, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them, and he had an epiphany. I can learn to read the Bible with my tongue in Braille. And at the time Sumner wrote his book, that man had read through the entire Bible four times in Braille with his tongue. Friends, we can do this. We can do this. It's about desire. Do you want it bad enough? Are you hungry and thirsty for God's word? Now, second, I want to focus in on that second phrase in our text, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing admonishing one another. That word admonishing, we don't use that very often in everyday language. It means warning. So we're teaching one another and we're warning one another. This is part of how we let God's word dwell in us richly. We must be pursuing God's word together. Together, not just individually. Listen to Paul in Romans 15, verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. These are the people in Rome he's writing to. That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. And then he says, and able to instruct one another. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul tells us to encourage one another with his words. In Hebrews 3.13, we read, Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so the idea of all those passages is this, that we are to be giving one another God's word. We are to be giving God's word to one another. The Christian life is not just go home and study the word for yourself. And then when you're with one another, well, just just be nice and loving and talk about, you know, sports and the weather and family and stuff. No, we've got to be giving God's word to one another, preaching to one another. I'm not saying you have to speak like I'm speaking to one another, but we're to be encouraging and exhorting one another with God's word. So, with, with our relationships, don't just tell me that you're sorry that my loved one died. Tell me that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit, Psalm 34, 18. Tell me, remind me that Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That it's so much more powerful than just saying, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Let's give one another God's word. Don't just, don't just tell me, John, you've got to quit sinning. Don't just say that. 
give me Romans 8.13. Say, John, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. God's word says that. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Encourage and exhort one another with God's word. Don't, don't just tell one another, hey, you're a Christian. I know you're a Christian. Don't doubt your salvation. But give one another Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We give one another God's word. We teach and admonish one another. But to do that, to be that kind of person, you have to be the kind of person who is in the word yourself. Who's in the word yourself. And you heard it in Deuteronomy, that passage that we read earlier. But we are to be teaching one another, which means teaching the next generation. As a church family, it is our task to pass on the gospel and the truths of God's word to the next generation. Listen to Psalm 78, starting in verse 4. It says, we will not hide them. This is God's testimonies, God's words. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Brothers and sisters, it is our task to pass on our faith and to pass on God's words to the next generation. Teaching and admonishing one another means not just us grown-ups, but us grown-ups who have rooted ourselves in God's word to the next generation. This is a task for every single adult in this church. God is expecting every single adult who calls themselves a Christ follower, to number one, be in the word themselves, and number two, be passing that word along to someone else, to the next generation particularly. Parents, grandparents, but not just people who have kids. All of us in the church play a part in this. We must pass on the teachings. In that passage from Psalms that we just read, the end of it said, so that the next generation does not walk away from the Lord so that they do not grow up and deny God. Because it's happening all over the place today, brothers and sisters. All over the place. I can give you countless examples of Christian parents whose kids have walked away from the Lord. Now, sometimes you do all you can, and your kids grow up, and they have to make their own decisions. Sometimes that happens. And I know, brothers and sisters, I know that that is a deep heartache for some of you. Sometimes you do all you can. But... But are we doing all we can? Are we doing what we can? Don't make the mistake that so many parents and grandparents make and just assume that because your kids grew up in your family and that you took them to church that they're going to believe the same things that you believe. There are all kinds of families just like that. And the kids are growing up and thinking, why in the world would I still do this? We've got, to, we've got to talk about it with them. We've got to teach them. We've got to help them to understand this is life. This is our lives. 
We're passing this on because I'm passing on my very heart to you. And my very heart is God's. I've given my heart to God's. My heart is for him and for his word. And I'm passing on my heart to you. You want to be able to say you did all you could. But church, this is our responsibility too, not just parents and grandparents. It is not enough that we have kids growing up in our church and in our youth group and we say, that's a good kid. They're good kids. There's going to be plenty of good people in hell. It is not enough to have a bunch of good, moral kids. We need to pass on the faith, the gospel, salvation, a love for God and for his word. Remember, the person who is hungry and thirsty for God's word wants to get it in any way they can. Let me just give you one practical way that you and your family can make this a priority in 2024. One practical way among many. Practical way. The new year is a wonderful time to start new habits. It would be a wonderful time to begin coming to Sunday school. 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings instead of 10 a.m. It'd be a wonderful time to commit. I'm going to give the Lord not just one hour of my Sunday of the Lord's Day. I'm going to give him two hours. I'm going to show up with my family and we're going to start coming to Sunday school. Why? Because we want the word. Because we want to grow in God's word. And we want to grow with our brothers and sisters in the church. Sunday school is not just for kids. Sunday school is not just for the kids of our church. It's for the adults as well. This would be a wonderful time to start that practice and to help you become more familiar with God's word, to help you know the Lord more through his word in a group setting because this is not just about us doing this individually. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly this year, teaching and admonishing one another. Listen to... This quote from Welsh pastor Jeffrey Thomas in his wonderful little booklet called Reading the Bible. He says, do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Rather, expect often to be puzzled by its contents. It is not all equally clear. Great men of God often feel like absolute novices when they read the word. The Apostle Peter said there were some things hard to understand in the epistles of Paul, 2 Peter 3.16. I am glad he wrote those words because I have felt that often. So do not expect always to get an emotional charge or a feeling of quiet peace when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may expect that to be a frequent experience, but often you will get no emotional response at all. Let the word break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by. And imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small. Because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. And so go on reading it until you can read no longer. And then you will not need the Bible anymore. Because when your eyes close for the last time in death. And never again read the word of God in scripture. You will open them to the word of God in the flesh. That same Jesus of the Bible. Whom you have known for so long. Standing before you to take you forever to his eternal home. Let the word dwell in you richly this year. The new year is a time of new beginnings, right? 
Everybody's got hope in the new year because we can all start fresh. Well, brothers and sisters, that's, that's kind of an empty statement, right? Because we all still have our past. Just because it turned over from December 31st to January 1st, that doesn't mean anything really changed in my life. But you want that to be true, don't you? The reason why that, that, that kind of saying exists is because we all want that to be true. Brothers and sisters and friends who are not my brothers and sisters, it is true in Christ. It is true in Christ. In Christ, you can actually genuinely have a new beginning, a fresh start. Because when you come to Christ, when you come to Christ in faith and submit yourself to him as Lord and are baptized into his name, Scripture tells us we we go under those waters of baptism and we die. We die to our old self and we die to our sin and we are raised new creations to newness of life. It is a legitimate fresh start, a clean slate, forgiveness full and free. But it's not just a fresh start and then from now on, let's hope you walk the straight and narrow. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is you get a completely clean slate forever. That your sins are wiped clean forever. All of them, including future sins, because Jesus paid for them at the cross. And if Jesus paid for my sins, I don't have to pay for them ever again. I don't have to pay for them. He's already done it. But that offer is not just for every human being. That offer is only extended to those who will come to Jesus. It is, it is an offer to everyone. Anyone can receive it. But that forgiveness is only given to those who come and give their lives to Jesus and put their faith in him and submit to his lordship and repent of their sins and are baptized into his name. But all who do receive that clean slate, that new beginning and that fresh start forever. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right now, we're going to spend some time thinking and praying about what we just heard. Each week here at Columbia Christian, we give a few moments after the sermon of silent prayer where we ask each and every one of us uh, to go to the Lord and to respond to him from your heart. So God just spoke to us. Now we're going to go speak to him and respond to whatever he has just laid on our hearts through his word. And so I, I encourage you to do that, to use this time for prayer and to go to the Lord, and then after we pray individually for a few moments, we'll come back together and we'll have an invitation time where any who need to respond to God's word in a public way can do so. Let's pray.